Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak to Robin Goad. He's the CEO of Fortune Minerals. They're a Canadian cobalt, gold, and bismuth development operation in Canada. They're 24 years in the making. They've invested 130 million bucks to date, and their market cap is only sitting at 30 million bucks today. Robin talks us through the reasons why he and perhaps a strategic partner can move this business forward. Hello, Robin. How are you, sir? I'm well, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, good. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, new story to our subscribers and viewers. So we always kick off with a one-minute summary of the company. So why don't you give us that? Sure. So we are a Toronto Stock Exchange listed uh, mineral development company in Canada. Our uh, primary asset is called the NICO Cobalt Gold Bismuth Copper Development, which is a project that's very advanced. It is going to produce two critical minerals, uh, those being cobalt and bismuth, both of which are on the critical minerals list for the United States as well as uh, the UK. And uh, we, uh, we will be a a uh, reliable ethical source of cobalt for the rapidly expanding lithium ion battery industry and particularly facilitating the transition to electric mobility, electric cars, also portable electronic devices and uh, and uh, stationary storage. Great. Thank you very much. Nice summary. Um, so let's start with a little potted history of, of the business. So how long have you been involved with it and how long has the company been going? Okay. So I founded the company in 1989. Uh-huh. Uh, we. Uh, We've had a fairly long history of, uh, with a number of projects in various, uh, various commodities in Canada. Our expertise is primarily in the Northwest Territories or the Canadian Arctic, mm-hmm. where uh, we think that uh, there is a tremendous opportunity where large world-class mineral deposits can still be found on the ground as opposed to, uh, to uh, deeper uh, sourced materials in, in the more developed parts of the country. Okay, so, so how does the business operate? So in 1989, that's obviously a long, long, long time ago. Um, have you uh, started projects, exited them during that period, but kept the vehicle, or have you been running the same projects the whole time? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we previously had a silver mine in Colorado. We've, uh, we had the world's largest development asset of, uh, of anthracite metallurgical coal. Uh, we, we won the bid to to purchase the Ridley Coal Terminal in uh, Prince Rupert, but now uh, uh, very much focused on uh, on the, the cobalt asset, which was an in-house discovery. We uh, we discovered the project in in um, 1996, and uh, not only is this a critical minerals deposit, but it's also belongs to a very unique and and uh, prolific class of mineral deposits called Olympic Dam, or uh, IOCG type deposits. So uh, it has world-class mineral potential. Uh, we've spent $130 million to date on the project, which is uh, vastly more than what our current market capitalization is. And we're uh, now at the project uh, development stage looking for project financing. Okay, okay well, I've got to ask. So in 1996, that's 24 years with this project. You spent 130 million bucks to date. Market cap, as you say, circa 30 million bucks. And I know there's a 2014 feasibility, that we'll, and we'll move on, to, we'll come back to that. But what have you spent 130 million bucks on? And why are you not sure. getting value uh, well, for it? I think is, would be the important question to ask. Well, this is actually one of the challenges that the world is facing in raw material procurement right now, because uh, 
um, increasing regulatory environments, uh, uh, greater uh, permitting times. It's, uh, it's very difficult now to, to bring on a mineral project in short order. And that's, uh, that's actually part of the story about uh, why we are uh, well, well positioned right now for investor interest because we have actually gone through this, uh, this long process of, um, of uh, but, just but, but 24 years. 24 years, you were a young man when you started this. So <laughs> 24 years, what, what, what have been the actual holdups there and there? And you know, coming back to the question, what, what's 130 million bucks been spent on? Sure, uh, seven years in an environmental assessment process. Uh, the um, uh, many years doing uh, doing uh, uh, engineering and drilling. Uh, uh, probably the most important uh, holdup recently has been waiting for a government-sponsored road to the project, which is now under construction. So uh, the government of Canada, the government of the Northwest Territories, and the Tlicho Indigenous government are all collaborating on a $200 million road to a nearby community, which will enable our project to proceed. Because uh, our project is comprised not only of a mine and a concentrator, but we have to get those concentrates down to southern Canada for downstream processing. So uh, uh, we have uh, um, we have test mined the project. Uh, that uh, was a $20 million uh, exercise. Uh, we even though it's an open pit uh, project, we've uh, we've driven an underground ramp. We have two kilometers of underground workings, and uh, uh, we've done pilot plant studies. So we've taken material from that pilot plant, and we've actually processed that through to uh, to a number of different cobalt and bismuth products. We've we piloted the uh, the manufacture of cobalt carbonate, cobalt cathode, cobalt sulfate, uh, as well as uh, bismuth ingot. Uh, the, um, we actually own the Golden Giant Mine Mill uh, in Hemlo, Ontario, and uh, we're going to salvage that mill for transport up to the Northwest Territories. However, because of the permitting delays, that uh, that equipment unfortunately kind of uh, um, expired, and we had to uh, to sell it. So that was uh, uh, the. Um, it is an expensive and time-consuming uh, process now to develop mineral projects. Sure, but. Okay, I come back to this. It's twenty-four years. It's one hundred thirty million bucks. Um, you know, and I'm not quite sure how that. I didn't quite hear how the one hundred thirty million breaks down specifically by, you know, type of expenditures. Um, you know, um, are you able to do that? Are you able to break that down for me in terms of silos? In terms of, I could uh, I could do it very generally, but yeah, I uh, but it would be uh, a thumb suck. Sure, let's give it a go. So twenty million in uh, in. Uh, uh, in underground test mining, uh, probably uh, something in the order of uh, $20 million in metallurgical test work and piloting. I'm sure there is, uh, we've done three feasibility studies, uh, probably collectively totaling uh, something in the order of 10 or 15 million. We've drilled 335 drill holes. I'm sure there's uh, at least $10 million of, uh, of work in there, including Camp cost analytical, establishing camp facilities, the, the Hemlo Mill, uh, 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 taking that down was uh, was was something like fifteen million dollars. So uh, I don't know where we're totaled right now, but it's uh, uh, but we're at seventy for eighty. <laughs> Fifty okay, to go. So uh, <laughs> en engineering, uh, geotechnical studies, uh, road construction. <laughs> yeah. 
permitting costs, uh, the uh, the environmental assessment process for uh, for the mine and the concentrator was uh, probably uh, 10 million, another 5 million for the refinery in Saskatchewan. Uh, acquisition of lands uh, for the refinery was was a few million. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that, that that's that's helpful. I, I get I get it now. So let let me just as an investor uh, try and understand where we're at today because you know that, that's that's a lot of money. You're not getting any value for that. You're thirty million market cap. You you know I think I can sense the frustration of you know you, people are not giving you the value for that. Um. Would and there's a lot, a lot of moving parts. There's a heck of a lot of moving parts. This is a big project. I, you know, I looked at the the feasibility study. It, it's a big project. What would you have done differently? To or could you have done anything differently? Because this doesn't all just come down to the the price of cobalt and the and the. And the um, no, there are lots of things. Uh, uh, but but historically, if we had uh, twenty years ago or ten, no, let's say ten or years ago, we would have walked into to an investment banking meeting and talked about the opportunity in cobalt yeah that would have taken half the meeting and then as soon as i mentioned the word bismuth uh, their eyes would gloss over uh now we don't obviously have to uh, have to do that because everybody's sensitized to the to what the the value of cobalt is but that wasn't always the case um what could we have done a little differently lots of things uh we made a mistake over the last couple of years in expanding the project from four thousand. 650 tons per day to 6,000 tons per day, thinking that there would be an incremental opportunity in, uh, in, through economies of scale for, uh, for reduced um, operating costs. In fact, the opposite happened because we are not a, uh, a typical mining project. We're actually more analogous to a process project or a refinery uh, or chemical plant with a captive source of raw material. And when we invest in uh, in uh, expanding the project to 30% expansion, you're also expanding the cost of the refinery as well as the concentrator as well as the mine. Uh, so um, we have uh, we went through a process because the uh, strategic partners that we were in discussions with, battery companies like LG or Samsung. We're all looking for a significantly greater amount of cobalt than what we had planned to produce. Hmm. Um, now we're uh, we're refocused back on on where we were before, 4,650 tons per day. Uh, even though it's primarily open pit, there will also be underground mining because the uh, the near surface resources are lower quality. Uh, there's a pre strip. So we have to uh, we have to mine some higher margin material, which is particularly gold rich at depth, to uh, to accelerate the payback. Uh, it's a complicated project. We have um, we have revenues coming from four different uh, minerals. Uh, from from cobalt is the dominant metal. We're and just to put things in perspective, we're about three and a half million equivalent ounces of cobalt or of gold, I should say, and uh, maybe. Uh, Two of that is uh, is from cobalt, uh, a million ounces of actual gold contained in the project, and another half million or so attributed to bismuth. The copper is a relatively uh, relatively small byproduct metal. Right. Okay. We are also operating in an area of uh, without much infrastructure, so you had to do lots of engineering on uh, on different kinds of energy sources. We've looked at. Uh, at diesel, at linking to nearby hydroelectric facilities, uh, compressed natural gas, liquid natural gas, 
as well as green uh, energy solutions, including uh, wind and solar. And uh, we'll be operating this mine initially on on LNG. That is the, uh, the most efficient uh, energy source. Right. Okay. So th- thanks for that. I, again, a lot of moving parts there. So you, I'm interested in what you said there. You, you're kind of like you've, you've got a mining component. And then you've got a processing component, and you're a, you're a very large integrated project. That that that's the picture you're painting there, right? Um, that's absolutely correct. So, do you think people are struggling to comprehend this much bigger story? And you think that do you think that's part of the the problem you're facing at the moment? Certainly in terms of around valuation. No, I think right now what uh, what people are looking for is yes, we believe you. Uh, uh, you've got this fantastic resource in the ground. We uh, we now recognize the uh, the critical minerals and the and that cobalt is going to be an important uh, uh, metal in the future. Um, so it's really now uh, demonstrating that we can finance the project. Now you're looking at a feasibility study that was done in 2014. Mm-hmm. It's out of date. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably looking at a capital cost of somewhere around 800 million dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, and. So how does a, comp- a $30 million or $40 million company finance an $800 million project? And quite frankly, the, uh, the, the way that we've been proceeding on this, uh, this path is to get a strategic partnership. There will be some kind of, uh, of um, uh, uh, project debt and equity component, and we're looking for the equity contribution from a strategic partnership. Now, two or three years ago, or two years ago, there was all kinds of people knocking on the door looking for cobalt because uh, because people believed that we were going to $50 cobalt. And uh, the DRC was able to uh, to respond to the higher prices a little faster than some people thought. But in any event, uh, two years from now, we are going to enter into a sustained period of deficit supply and uh, new sources are going to be required and they're going to be required that don't have the risks associated with the DRC, or for that matter, processing in China, because China is responsible for 60% of cobalt processing. Okay, I know I'm a buyer of the macro story. You know, I think cobalt will come back. It's just you know, it's in it's in a dip at the moment. But how do you have those conversations today with one a market cap of your size? And and if I look at the language in your presentation, there's a lot of you're very early stage in many ways. You've got a financial a feasibility study, but you're also kind of very early stage. So if the language is we talk about, you know, validation of, of pilots, we talk about test mining, development work, potential for the future, bulk samples, negotiations, identifying, you know, all of these words suggest that you you don't necessarily have all of the pieces together that you want. So negotiations it, must be hard. You know, no, so- I, just the opposite. You've uh, all of those things have actually validated what we've been saying, and uh, and unfortunately, those that's the process that we had to pursue because the, uh, um, for example, the strongest economic attribute to our project is a very high concentration ratio. So when we uh, when we subject our ores to flotation, we concentrate all the recoverable metals in only four percent of the original mass. So when you're processing at 4,650 tons per day, you're producing 180 tons of concentrate containing all the valuable metals. All of these kinds of things have to be validated in uh, feasibility studies because they are not uh, mainstream metals. 
Uh, and the investment community is more uh, is typically focused more on metals like gold and copper and nickel. This whole uh, evolution or transition into the importance of technology and eco metals is is a new thing, mm. and uh, and the sort of mainstream and uh, sort of typical investment community is just trying to get their head around this, and it's complicated because it's they are technical projects. They're very technical they projects. Have, they are very technical projects. You have to go through validation. Great. Let's talk about some of the commodities there. Obviously, do you mind if I start with the gold bit first? Okay, so so sure. what do you know about the metallurgy? What do you know about the economics around being able to extract gold and make money, even at today's prices, say? First of all, the the ore in our project is, is, is comprised of four overlapping envelopes of different metals. So there, uh, we can make ore only on the gold in places, mm -hmm. only on the cobalt in places, or a combination of the four metals that are in the deposit. And the gold part of our, uh, our project is actually quite high grade. Even though the reserves are a gram per ton, which would be ore itself in most, uh, most gold-only deposits, mm -hmm. the, uh, we're actually mining uh, uh, areas that are five to 10 grams of gold or no gold. The average, is is really non-existent and and that's the uh the the rationale for going underground and mining approximately uh uh one eighth of the ore in the first two years of production comes from underground mines uh, underground the underground part of the mine which is focused on very high grade gold we get intersections up to 62 grams over uh over two meters for example now, in terms of its distribution, it's, uh, I said it's kind of localized in the central core and the deeper parts of the deposit, but it's free gold. It, uh, it, it is recoverable by flotation. In fact, all of the losses we experience in just about every metal is through flotation. Uh, so we go through that very simple, we crush, we grind, we float, and we recover. Um, uh, the gold actually is, uh, is grade dependent. So where we have uh, high grade gold, we get very high recoveries in the 85% range. Where we have low grade gold, we get low recoveries. So we have a range in recovery that's built into our so, model. So, so can you mine the gold, recover the gold economically at today's prices? As, as part of, a, of the deposit that is also being mined for the other metals. Right. Um, it, uh, it's possible that, uh, that there, there's a, a gold only deposit there, but it would be very small. And you have to keep in mind that we're operating up in the Northwest Territories where we're gonna to have to invest in a $30 million road, a camp facility to accommodate our workers, all of the uh, process facilities. So you have to have a certain uh, critical mass in order to, to basically pay back that, uh, th those costs. So, so focusing on a very small deposit is uh, is is not an attractive way to develop this asset. Absolutely not. But so, when will you know the scale of the opportunity or the scale of the resource, quite frankly, to understand the economics better than you do today? We understand the economics right now at forty six fifty. Person went to a feasibility study, which was positive. So, so we uh, we already have that. Um, we've done all the uh, all, all the work that you're re you're referring to. Okay. Okay. So, because I, I the phrase from your the the PowerPoint, you say you know that it's a well understood deposit. 
So I seen from that you, you obviously with the I've forgotten how many drill holes, three hundred and something drill holes, uh, three hundred thirty-five drill holes. You've got a you've got a lot of data. Is it enough? Again, coming back to your conversations with strategic partners, which you've talked about, and you did talk about these, you know, the beginning of last year as well, back back well not beginning May last year. How are those conversations developing? And what data are you able to talk to them about? And what are they getting enthusiastic about? You know, if they are getting enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I, well, I would say that uh, the, the over the last couple of years, the kinds of companies that we're talking to is changing. Okay. So where there was a, uh, um, you know, year and a half ago, uh, we were focused very much on uh, car companies and battery companies and uh, people who had a strategic requirement for that for that cobalt, and they were uh, quite desperate. Uh, we have. We have confidentiality agreements with, uh, with I think about three or four car companies, uh, several, uh, um, several battery companies. Uh, now the, the, uh, the dialogue has kind of shifted more to Canadian mining companies who understand mining projects. Because quite frankly, uh, General Motors doesn't want to be in the mining business. Uh, neither does Volkswagen. They're, they will be in the mining business if they have to be to secure a metal that, that is absolutely essential to their business. But that urgency has, has dissipated over the last year. So our, so the kinds of companies that we're approaching now are very different. So you're approaching them, they're not approaching you? A little of both. A little of both. Okay, fine. And so does that say to you, you've got to get make this more about being a mining company again and less about the processing in terms of focus and... Over the next few months, no, the economics and the uh, and and the and the project are predicated on uh, primarily on a process uh, a solution. But I mean, we do have a million ounce of gold. We are an Olympic Dam or IOCG type deposit. So, well, well tell me that about mean? that. Tell me, yeah, tell me about that because you're talking about well understood deposit, Olympic Dam deposit. Sounds good. Why do you say you qualify to call yourself that? Do you want to get into some complex geological discussion here? You know I don't, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I do want right. to what I do want to know is when you're talking to strategic investors, why you're able to make that statement sure. confidently. So, so let's just uh, say that the scientific community and the geological and mining community accepts this that we are an IOCG deposit. So what does that mean? That stands for iron oxide, copper, gold. The largest deposit in that class is the Olympic Dam deposit in Australia, mm. which is yep. about 7 billion tons. Yep. Other global analogs would include the Carajás deposits in Brazil, which would include Salobo, Sasego, Alameo. And mm. these are commonly in the billion ton class. Mm -hmm. And there's the uh, Candelaria deposits in Chile, which are billion tons. So when you uh, talk to... Uh, to technically minded uh, uh, mining companies, Canadian mining companies, about the opportunity for, for an IOCG scale target. And the fact that we already have um, you know, 30, um, 33 million tons in one deposit, plus a satellite deposit of 10 million tons in our Sudayan copper deposit, then uh, we're starting to talk about world-class opportunities. We have geophysics that uh, that are have enormous um, anomalies that are untested, um, and we talk about well, why haven't we tested them? We we spent 130 million dollars trying to uh, to get what we already have into commercial production, 
So uh, um, going out and blowing our brains out uh, on a whole pile of additional drilling isn't really uh, making money for our shareholders. So, so we're, uh, we're very focused on getting, getting the current deposit identified, although there are, is this additional um, expiration opportunity that you are looking at. Well, not yet. Focus, focus, focus. Um, <laughs> so let, let me talk about it. It's interesting what you just said. You spent 130 million bucks and you're not going to go and blow your brains out and, and drill more. I, I, I think that probably makes a lot of sense. Um, why should anyone give you any more money? You spent 130 million bucks, market cap's 30. If it's not entirely down to the uh, price of cobalt and it's not, and it, you know, you've got a very, very large integrated project here and people aren't giving you the value for that. Whose fault is that the market's fault or is it your fault? Well, first of all, um, this isn't endemic to fortune. Uh, the, uh, this has been an issue that is, uh, that has been associated with mining generally. We are a very capital intensive business and, and regulators of, uh, and the, the additional hurdles to get a project into commercial operation are uh, synonymous with all mining projects today. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, look at other analogs and including in other commodities, you'll see a same the same kind of uh, situation. It takes 20 years to build a mine in today's environment, and uh, and that's uh, that's not getting any better. In fact, the uh, the Canadian government is kind of sucking and blowing at the same time right now. They have determined that why don't we have these critical projects like ours getting across the finish line? At the same time, they are increasing the uh, the, the length of time that takes to, uh, to develop projects. They are converting most of the Arctic into a park. <laughs> the, uh, and they are uh, they're just making it a very, Companies go through very cumbersome processes, which is not uh, creative to to shareholder value. Okay, so back to the question: Why would anyone give you any money? Because at some point we're going to run out of these metals, and uh, if we don't develop these projects, then uh, then we're not going to be able to to uh, transition through to electric mobility. We have to have metals, okay. and uh, and I think. Uh, these these kinds of processes go through pendulums where where we, uh, we the environment gets very uh, very attractive for mineral development because we have high commodity prices we get good shareholder returns and it goes the other way right. and uh, at some point we're going to uh, we're going to run out of uh, out of key metals and. Uh, and there's going to be very, very high prices okay. as a consequence. Okay, but let, let, let's bring this back to you. Those are very general statements, very generic statements about mining in general, you know, security around various metals and battery metals, et cetera, the general statements. What about you? How are you going to deliver value for the, I, I imagine, long-suffering shareholders um, in any time in the next two or three years? I mean, how, how do you uh, accelerate a process? In fact, what is the process? Give, give me that process. business plan for the next two, three years. What's it look like? Sure. It's, uh, it's essentially, as we've already discussed, we are in the process of talking to strategic investors and, uh, and we are looking for, a, for a, an equity, a project equity partner to develop this asset with Fortune. And uh, that comes with the, the credibility of proven ex- experience in, in mine operations. 
as well as the balance sheet to uh, to get this project across the line. But the, bal- the balance sheet of your partner to get it over the line, right. right? And your experience in terms of you know understanding this deposit, but how do you move that from conversation into you know a deliverable, an action? What's going to get these guys over the line? What are, what are they telling you they need before they'll pull the trigger? Well, there's uh, I, I can't talk about uh, um, specifically about discussions we're having with any particular company, but uh, most of them go through a process of, of analyzing data. We have a data room, mm-hmm. uh, which has uh, all of that data is compiled and available for, uh, for companies that enter into a confidentiality agreement. And, uh, and we are at various stages of discussion with, uh, with different kinds of companies. Some of them are very advanced, that could pull the trigger at any time. Uh, some of them are uh, are kicking tires. So you've, coming back to what you said earlier, these are mining companies in there now, not so much the automotive, in advanced diligence on your data room. No, uh, the the car companies, some of them are still at the table. Okay. I think if you uh, if you're watching the the space and in battery materials, you will note that uh, Tesla concluded a transaction with Glencore fairly recently. And obviously, uh, a car company is going to prefer to uh, to transact initially with a, with a current operator than a development asset. Right. Uh, but car companies are at the uh, at the table. I would say that those discussions are not advancing as quickly as ones that are taking place with mining companies. Okay. Um, so, how much cash have you have you got today? You, the presentation suggests a couple of million bucks. Is that right? It's a little over two. A little over two million, right? And that'll see you through. It really depends on on activity, and uh, we we have raised a little bit of flow through. We are looking at a couple of geophysical anomalies that are uh, that are on the the property, uh, but our focus is really on on partnerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also um, remodeling the deposit. I, I, I earlier in our conversation we talked about. Uh, a mistake that we made in expanding the project, we're actually dialing it back the opposite direction, mm-hmm. focusing now more on a, a little bit smaller but higher grade uh, deposit. Right. Uh, so we're uh, we're doing that work currently and hope to have it completed in the next uh, the next month, uh, and that will uh, uh, will hopefully translate into uh, into a a deposit that may not be significantly smaller but but have higher grades and uh and particularly more global contribution okay so because you, you, you announced this sort of technical report uh, 2007 well it says 2017 here but you're saying because you've changed the scope of the of the technical reports um you think by q1 let's say q1 be generous it's q1 you'll have that complete and ready to announce the market no we'll have an we'll have an updated geological model in, in, in okay. So, how does your um, uh, shareholder register break down? How much is institutional versus retail? Hard to know now. Uh, we've got a lot of shares outstanding. We're about uh, 340 million. Yeah. Uh, we we have institutional uh, ownership of the of the company, and we also have a strategic partner. Um, uh, we um, sorry, we had a a partner that was going to finance the project in 2014, a Chinese company. Yeah. Uh, they currently own uh, about 10% of the uh, the issued capital. 
So that was another uh, another issue. I mean, we're in 2014. We were at very advanced uh, stage of uh, probably two weeks from pulling the trigger on a, on on building the project with a Chinese partner, and uh, that uh, that company, which uh, is a subsidiary of Sinom, the China National Machinery Company, was looking for battery materials. Um, was also uh, had purchased a Canadian mining contracting company called Procon, mm -hmm. uh, and Procon was going to develop this asset in partnership with Fortune in 2014. Mm -hmm. That's when we went through another cycle. Uh, unfortunately, metal prices declined, but it was also the period when Premier Xi ascended to power. Uh, there was a lot of um, of audits taking place uh, in st in state-owned enterprises. Uh, People ducking for cover as a consequence, and uh, and unfortunately, our project, although it was partially consummated, didn't uh, didn't proceed. So I mean, there's another example where, you know, a couple of year de uh, delay because we were virtually at the uh, at the altar with a with a company that just didn't right. wasn't able to come to the to the finish line. Okay, so I guess what you're saying, I guess what the question I was going to ask is, you know, do you get investors coming to you frustrated? Uh, what are they? What are they saying to you? What are they asking you to do? What are you telling them? We have uh, we have very supportive shareholders, and uh, like like any uh, public company, we've got some grumpy ones too. And uh, what are they saying? Uh, what are they saying? What What are you hearing? Well, we we'd like to uh, with. Like any other shareholder, they want to they want they want to see a return on investment. And what do you uh, say? I am a large shareholder of the company. Uh, my my share position was worth fifty million dollars at one point. What, what's now, it worth today? Uh, what, what what's it worth today? How probably much? a million. A million. Okay. So uh, it's not a. I uh, I am, am as frustrated as anybody at the uh, the length of time it's taking for this project. It's uh, uh, I'm I haven't gotten rich on the back of my shareholders. Yeah, but likewise, you, you know, you guys get paid a salary; they don't, so it's their, their money's tied up in this thing. So, you know, that's a very different scenario for you as it as it is for them. Um, okay, so you're you're setting about a million million bucks of of, of shares. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, I mean, I mean, actually, there's an interesting topic. So, I mean, how have you and your board reacted to the share price? Have you have you cut your salaries, or have you have you get how's your remuneration look like? Does it reflect yeah. the market, or is it just business as usual? Uh, to some extent, it's uh, it's we have cut the cut back over the last few months. Uh, there are a couple of people that are uh, that are transitioned to uh, to half time. Uh, we are, um, but we're a relatively small company. You can't. Uh, we have to. Uh, we can't just not pay people, or or they're going to move on. That's uh, so. We are. We we do try to uh, to be mindful of uh, cutting back on on certain expenses, investor relations. Uh, we're not attending some of the conferences that we would normally attend. Cordillera and Roundups next week, uh, Cambridge show, which we would normally attend, and uh, we're trying to be uh, we're trying to be respectful of our our shareholders and our cash position, and we're not attending this. Right. And do you think you're going to need to go and raise some money this year? Uh, the um, I can't tell you that uh, uh, that would be dependent on our discussions with strategic partnerships. Some of those are uh, are advancing very well, and if uh, if somebody pulled the trigger very quickly, 
there would be no need for, to do that. If, uh, if we were not successful in securing a partnership, we'd probably have to raise some money. Right. Okay. When, when do you make that decision? Because obviously you I talked about 2014, you talked about, you know, May last year, talked about strategic partners being, you know, advanced discussions. You know, if you, I appreciate you saying the same thing and you're not in charge of whether they might pull the trigger at their end or not. But at some point you've got to, you're in control of what you're in control of. At what point do you say we've actually got to make that decision now? Yeah, that decision is not imminent and uh, we're, we are sufficiently funded right now to, uh, to get through the process in particular with, uh, with one company that we're in discussions with. So um, uh, arguably two companies that we're in discussions with. So if those, uh, if those advance to, to a transaction, it won't be necessary. Right. If, uh, uh, if we never allow the treasury to go down to, to very low levels or, or your negotiating position when you're trying to raise money, it's very poor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's 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 fair enough. Um, and if I may just um, finish off on terms of you have touched upon a lot of these topics during the call, but 2020, you've got two million bucks in the bank. You're to advanced discussions with strategic partners, which is you know make seems to make a lot of sense to me. You've got to get them over the line. But what are you going to spend your time on? And what do you think? What do you think is the most important thing to spend your time on over the next? This certainly this quarter. Let's go over this quarter. Sure. So there's uh, probably three uh, three projects that we're very focused on. One, mm -hmm. I, I talked about the um, the reinterpretation of the, uh, the geological block model. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a little technical, but we um, we've recognized an opportunity to uh, to rejig the model, uh, a very slightly smaller deposit, mm -hmm. higher grades, more gold. Uh, we want more gold, obviously, to reduce reduce our exposure to volatility in uh, in the strategic metal space because those metals do uh, do have very very um, uh, significant price uh, volatility. Um, we're also focused on strategic partnerships. We've talked about that, and uh, the other uh, opportunity that we are pursuing is is a lower capital cost. Um, solution for our downstream process plant and in particular there are two projects where uh, one of which we can take an existing plant that is already producing uh, the same some of the, uh, the commodities that we're producing leverage uh, some of the redundant facilities uh, oxygen plant rail siding uh, office and warehousing uh, those kinds of, uh, of, of facilities are already in place which would reduce the, the, um, the capital costs for our downstream process plant. We're also looking at another, uh, another opportunity where uh, uh, the, an existing processing facility will, will close in the near term. Uh, I can't mention either of these because they're under CA. Uh, and then also the Canadian government has decided to, uh, or not decided, they have, uh, they have entered into a, an arrangement with the US government to ensure Canadian supply of uh, critical minerals. So we're working with Natural Resources Canada on what we perceive to be the best way that they can help that happen, which is uh, financial support for downstream processing. I think one of the other, uh, I mean, we touched on this uh, already, but the, the challenge when you have a, uh, a critical minerals or, or some of these technology metals, 
is you can't just simply build a mine and a concentrator and ship that material to somebody's downstream processing plant. They either don't exist or they're not configured properly for the uh, concentrates that are there. So you're, you're committed now to, to this much higher capital cost project of funding a vertically integrated project with a, with a refinery, a mine and a concentrator. So that doubles the capital cost. Certainly it's, uh, it's well, for 800 million, yeah, it's uh, 450 million for our mine, 350 for the refinery. So having some, some uh, government support, whether that be loan guarantees, grants, uh, um, equity participation, uh, the US Department of Defense has already invested in a rare earth metals project in the United States. And uh, Trudeau, uh, our prime minister, has, uh, has guaranteed uh, to the President of the United States that Canada is going to be there in the supply of these materials. So NRCAN is now basically been, uh, Natural Resources Canada, I'm using acronyms, mm -hmm. uh, has got to come up with solutions to, uh, to basically enable some of these projects to get across the line. So there are good <laughs> projects in Canada like ours that are essentially at the construction development uh, stage. Mm -hmm. There are also uh, projects in uh, nearby that, that have rare earth metals. And uh, a lot of this is being driven by U.S. exposure to defense materials. Yep. Whether it's battery materials like cobalt mm -hmm. or rare earth metals used in, uh, in, in some of the defense applications. So you, like, you talked what's going, to, what's going to drive people's investor interest. These are the kinds of things that will do that. But th those, those are the macro stories. Those are the macro stories which, which drive that. I've, I've been keen in this conversation on saying what you're doing about it to deliver your shareholders that payback so we're, that they need. So we're actively in dialogue with Natural Resources Canada. What that translates into, it's too early to tell. Mm -hmm. You asked me what I'm doing over the next quarter resource modeling, partnerships, and a downstream process solution at a lower capital cost. That's what we're concentrated Beautiful. on. Good. And I need to, I need to ask you, I did mean to ask you earlier, so what is the size of the bismuth market What in dollar terms? What, what's it equate to? I, I don't know much about it, I have to admit. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, and there's not very good uh, uh, publicly available information. Mm. But the, uh, the size of the market is, uh, is inaccurately reported in some of those public uh, disclosures. Mm -hmm. It's somewhere between uh, roughly 17,000 to 20,000 tons. Uh, the current price has been very volatile because uh, are you familiar with the Fania exchange tobacco that was in Shanghai? Yep. So Fania was a Ponzi scheme and unfortunately they, uh, they had uh, accumulated large inventories of minor metals, including bismuth. In fact, bismuth was their largest holding. Uh, the price of bismuth has ranged anywhere from uh, on the spot market uh, around three dollars to uh, to um, uh, twenty three dollars in two thousand and six uh, six I think it was mm -hmm. or two thousand eight the um, the fair price for bismuth is probably around uh, something around eight dollars eight ten dollars uh, uh, per pound so if you've got uh, twenty thousand tons times uh, 10 uh, 2204 times 10 that's the size of the market okay so it's not it's not big not a big market no. okay 
no, it only represents about 10% of our revenue. 10% of your revenue, and, okay. And do you have a sense of how much of it you've got yet? Oh yeah, we have 12% of the global reserves. But you've got to get it out of the ground and you've got to get it out of the ground whilst making money. Robin, thank you very much for your time today. That was a lovely introduction to your company. Uh, I guess people are going to be keen to see how these conversations carry, uh, manifest themselves in the next few months for you. Um, and you know, I hope you get that strategic partner on board. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.